Well, welcome back to another one of our bonus episodes of the Bridge Church podcast as we explore the topic of eschatology and the future we have as believers. Hello, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at the Bridge Church. I am joined by the wonderful Naomi DeVries. Welcome. Thank you. And James Galea. G'day, g'day. Also wonderful, maybe a bit oh, less wonderful, you. but <laughs> it's good to have you back. Today, we are reflecting on something we preached about recently, thinking about what happens after we die. First question for both of you is, when you think about the idea of having a resurrected body, what are you most looking forward to? How do you picture that resurrection body? James, you've been working out recently. I mean, your body's looking pretty <laughs> Well, I don't know how to take that, Andrew. Thank you for that. Uh, thank you for noticing. Uh, no, what I'm looking forward to a resurrected body, I think because I've not yet experienced the chronic back pains, the, that shock diagnosis yet, you know, I'm sure something's coming. But uh, one of the things I'm looking forward to a resurrected body is the idea of no shame, no worry, no fear of others. You know, for me, when it comes to, let's say, sport, if I throw a ball, it's a miracle if it goes in the direction I want it. <laughs> and so when I get like team sport or a kicking ball, that kind of thing, there's always a worry of like, what are other people thinking? What am I thinking? And so there's all that worry and all that kind of stuff, which other people don't have, but a resurrected body and with a mild resurrected bodies, I'm looking forward to having fun, engaging in sport, going for a run and all those kind of things without those fears at the back of your head, mm. uh, without those worries. And that's one of the things I'm looking forward to being a resurrected body in, the, in a perfect body, but is perfectly comfortable in who I am and the way God has resurrected me to be. Now, Naomi used to work as an occupational therapist in a hospital, helping people who had uh, frail bodies, aging bodies, helping them use their body well. How does that change the way you interact with this kind of topic? Yeah, I think one of the reasons why I've ended up in ministry was because of the fact that our bodies don't last. I loved working as an OT. I really enjoyed it. But I kept having these situations where my patients would die and it just, yeah, it just kept reminding me that these bodies don't last, they're frail. I had a patient die that I'd been working with personally for about three months and we'd built quite a sort of relationship with, friendship with, and he'd had a lung transplant and then basically in the dining room one day he just died and the physio and I were trying to save him and we couldn't. And yeah, he was about to go home the next week and it was just really confronting. And then I had another patient who was a young mum who'd had a stroke who I'd been working with for a long time. And then she got diagnosed with terminal cancer um, and was dying. And I was just like, I've spent all this time, you know, working with people and trying to help their bodies recover, but ultimately they're going to die. And I think as I get older, you know, I'm 41 now. And I realise that my body's getting older, right? And I think it's something we all fear is getting older and dying and we're having to confront the reality of that. And, you know, as I get more wrinkles and as things start to ache, I realise that I'm getting older and my body is, is slowly dying. And so I think to live in a place where we have bodies and we don't live with fear of that will be amazing. You know, don't worry about the wrinkles. We don't worry about the aches and pains. We don't worry about... Yeah, what day will I die and how will I die? Like to live without that fear and worry will be incredible, I think. On Sunday, I use the analogy of it's like a laptop being disconnected from the power source 
and you know, hundred percent, ninety percent, and you're confident. I said that's like being in your thirties, twenties. You know, you can do like when it gets down to the ten percent, the five percent, you see that battery running out, and that's more the end of life. And there's anxiety and worry, and that's inevitable for us all. But to be to have a body that's a hundred percent full mm. all the time, all the time, is just that's what it's going to be like. So we had heaps of questions come in for this topic. And just a reminder, we've still got a few more bonus episodes to come. So you can send any questions to thebridgechurch.org.au forward slash questions. Here's one that was sent in. This person wrote, I believe in Jesus and love, but at the same time, I'm very afraid of death and also the unknown of eternal life. What are some tips for getting over this? I love some of the biblical imagery that we're given about death, like the idea of taking off the old and putting on the new. That's one of the things that really helps me when I think about death is that it's actually a process of change. It's not an ending, but just a, you know, a pivot or a change. And I think like C.S. Lewis gives some lovely pictures of like walking through a doorway. Yeah, it's just a process of change. What do you think, James? Oh, I do think it's very weird for the Christian who says, I'm not afraid of dying. Like, it's a scary thing. Like, you know, I'm not, not afraid of death. Jesus defeated death. But the actual process of dying is a scary thing. You know, like well, some of us will die in horrific car accidents. Some of us will die, you know, slow death. You know, people who say, I'm not afraid of dying, I don't think have seen people die. But you don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to fear it in the way others do. I think you're more likely to fear it if you look at you rather than Christ. You're more likely to fear it if you think about if it's all about what you do rather than what Christ has done. It's almost like looking at your feet, wobbling feet, and they're shaking, but actually, no, no, look where your feet are upon, that, that strong foundation, and that foundation is Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. And so, yes, dying is scary, but you're going through death with a confidence that's not in you, but in confidence of the Lord Jesus Christ that he has defeated, he's gone on this journey before you and is with you through that. That's the only way you're going to have one of us some confidence and, and not be petrified by the whole thing. And I think to remember that we don't do it alone. Like Russ's grandmother died recently uh, in December and she was sort of coming in and out of consciousness towards the end and we were with her. And she kept saying to Russ's mum, I can hear someone calling me. I can hear someone calling me. And Joe was like, maybe that's Jesus. And then grandma would relax and she'd sit up again and sort of say, I can hear someone calling my name. And yeah, and so I think there's so much we don't know. But yeah, I think we can look at death with a confidence that Jesus will be with us through that process. You know, as Stephen dies, he sees Jesus and Jesus is there, you know, at that point of his death. So I think there's so much we don't understand, but that Jesus will be there with us as we die. The next question that's been sent in is this, if there are no Jews or Gentiles, male or female, et cetera, et cetera, what will we be like in the new heavens and the new earth? Will we be genderless? Yeah, so I think this Galatians passage is probably one of the misquoted passages in our time. It's not saying there's no Jews or Gentiles. It says there's no neither Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, or one in Christ. It's not we're all gone in Christ that those things are eradicated. When it comes to salvation, it doesn't matter your ethnicity, your gender, we are united in Christ. You know, the foot of the cross is very is level. But 
you know, when Jesus uh, is resurrected, goes to Thomas, he says uh, in Luke 24, it is I myself. And then Thomas responds, my Lord and my God. You know, it's a resurrected Jesus and he keeps his masculine body. He keeps his Jewish heritage. It's a resurrected him. And even that picture in Revelation where there's around the throne different tribes, you know, different uh, nationalities, a resurrected you is not a replacement or a rejection of you. It is a resurrected you. So if you're male, if you're female, if you're your ethnicity, your personality, like these things are resurrected because they weren't sinful in the beginning. They were good in the garden. Yes. Sin has affected them. Yes, there was gender before the fall, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. And so these are good things, and it's a resurrection of that in the new creation. I really love that idea of it's like it still be you, right? You you still be you. And I remember talking to Lewis a few years ago just before bed, and it was for some reason we were talking about going to heaven or being with Jesus and dying. And he said to me, if I die tonight, mum, Jesus is going to say, Lewis, I really like your pyjamas. <laughs> and um, it just really captured so much of childlike faith, right? He knew he would be Lewis. He knew he'd be with Jesus. And he was just going to be right there and then. What in, were in, the pyjamas he was wearing? I don't know. He thought they were pretty good, okay. obviously. Yeah. He thought Jesus would like them. Yeah. Okay. So that's the future. That's uh, after we die. That's our resurrected bodies in the new creation. But before that, between death and this resurrected body, there's lots of questions. What happens in the in the between? There's different ideas. There's the idea of soul sleep or the intermediate state. I guess the question is, what would, what would you say is happening for us before our bodies are actually resurrected? Yeah, I've been with people when they've died, and it's really quite a profound thing. One minute they're there, and the next minute they're not. Like, there is definitely a soul and a body, and it is very clear when the soul is not there. The body is just a shell. And so, yeah, so there definitely is a separation at death of body and soul, right? And there is definitely a point when body and soul are reunited, and we're told that's when Jesus returns. And so there is definitely this period in between. I tend to go with a view of this intermediate state where our souls are with Jesus immediately, and our bodies are waiting to the point of Jesus' return. Yeah, it's like, I don't think there's a lot in the Bible that explains the intermediate state. There's enough. It's like a helpful analogy where if I was to, let's say, move to New Zealand, uh, I've got work there, my family was there, and that's where I'm going. But on the way to get there, I had a stopover in Melbourne, and I was actually going to see a friend for a couple of hours, and then continue on to New Zealand. If I had to tell you where I'm going, I would say, hey, I'm going to New Zealand. And that would be my focus. I wouldn't say I'm going to Melbourne. I'd say oh, I would be going to New Zealand via Melbourne. And that's what the intermediate state is between now and when Jesus returns. It's a stopover. So there's a little bit in the Bible in terms of what it's like. You know, it's better to be with Christ than it. Like Paul talks about that. You know, today you'll be with me in paradise to the thief on the cross. So there's a comfort there that you'll be with Christ. What it's like, Revelation 6, I find a helpful passage because there it talks about uh, those who are martyrs, right? Those who've lost their life because of following Jesus. And it says, and they're there with Christ, and they're asking this question, verse 10, how long until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? So they're almost looking down with Christ at what's happening down here and saying, you know, Jesus, 
you know, we, you need to bring about justice. They're, they're looking forward to Jesus' return. So there's almost the idea of we're, we're with Christ. I don't think there's any sin there, but it's almost the focus is what's happening here. So I'm confident that, you know, my grandma who passed away a couple of months, she is with Christ and in a way looking down on us. And she is looking forward, uh, as I'm looking forward, we're in different situations, to Jesus' return. Mm. And so there, it is to be better. It is to be with Christ. It's better by far. Because when it describes Jesus' return, it says, the dead in Christ will rise first. So those believers who have already died will rise, and then we will rise as well. And so people like your grandma are with Jesus right now and yet awaiting that day. Mm. The alternative, I guess, is soul sleep, which some people talk about, which is the idea that that when we die, as we wait for that final day, if we've already died, we're, we're kind of just unconscious and having a, a great old sleep and the time will feel like a second past, however long it might be. Again, the Bible doesn't talk much about all these things and there's some biblical justification for that, but I, I think the intermediate state is a great way to go. The other one is purgatory. That's pretty popular. Help us Think through this idea of purgatory. What would you say to someone who holds that view? Well, the Roman Catholic Church invented in the 13th century. So you don't find it in the Bible. It was a attempt to how, if you, your salvation is what by what you do, then uh, what happens when you die? This is a second chance of continuing that, of maybe what I can do, I can redeem my situation by what I do and get a second chance uh, but in the 13th century, that's when it came about, this idea of purgatory. Mm. It's not there in the words of the Bible. So we die, we rise with Christ, we have our new resurrection bodies. One of the things we talked about the Sunday just passed is the idea of rewards in heaven. Mm. And I know, Naomi, you were talking to someone from our church who was quite unsettled by this idea of rewards in heaven. Because, I mean, it is something that we don't really talk much about. Do you want to explain that conversation you were having? Yeah, and I think it's something that I've not thought much about. And so the person I was talking to with, again, was quite unsettled by this topic, I guess with concern that it was teaching that we should be motivated by something other than a desire for God's glory. So sort of looking at the idea that being motivated, it's a selfish motivation to be motivated. As in, we want to do good things for God now. Now. For our gain. Yeah, exactly. And also that sense of what if I get to heaven and then it's pretty clear that I haven't, you know, that I haven't been a good steward, that I haven't done very much or that I, almost that idea of shame, I think. What do I do if I get to heaven and it's pretty obvious that I haven't done enough compared to everybody else? Mm. Yeah, I think rewards in heaven is one of those topics which we haven't talked much about. But Jesus talks more than I've realized in the Gospels and it's even there in Revelation I think it's going to be clear the reward is not heaven. Heaven is a gift, but there are rewards in heaven. And I think being clear on that is very helpful because there's a fear of, particularly if you've come from a very works-based background where you've found the wonder of grace, rewards in heaven can feel like maybe it's a slippery slope back into that. But... It's interesting, I, I, I very much hear it in terms of it's for God's glory, but then I'm realizing like when Jesus talks about storing up treasures in heaven, he says in Matthew 5, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And it is almost Jesus saying, this is 
not only for my glory, but for your benefit. So when you are generous, when you are giving, it's actually going to be for your benefit long term. Like he wants us to invest well, not in this age, but the age to come where moth and rust do not destroy. Some will, I do believe some will have more and others will have less in heaven. And yet my nature will be to rejoice that you have a greater reward than I do and not be selfish or not be discontent uh, because someone has stored up more treasures on earth, uh, in heaven than, than I did. But I don't think there's shame. Like I don't think Jesus gets get there and be like, what the heck did you do? <laughs> you know, there's, but there is a difference between, say, the thief on the cross and Paul the apostle. Like both will be celebrated, you know, we're saved by grace through the Lord Jesus. And yet what Paul the Apostle experienced, like what he gave up, he was persecuted. There is a difference there uh, in the way in which he lived his life to the thief on the cross who just got in the nick of time. And it's not a salvation reward. It's a faithfulness of God saying, I've seen what you've done. I've seen what you've given up. It's interesting, though, with the Apostle Paul, just to push back a little bit, Mm. like his motivation is like, you know, he talks about like being like an athlete and pressing on to win the prize. But, you know, his prize is the crown of life, which we're all given. So, you know, I sort of want to push back a little bit and say, oh, but maybe Paul's motivation is actually eternal life, you know, like life with Jesus, being with Jesus. That's his reward. Do we all have the same reward of just being crowned with life? Yeah, Sislaus makes an analogy where it's like a schoolboy learning French. And initially he's learning French to get the good marks. So he's working hard, working hard to get the, you know, the 10 out of 10. And yet as he learns it more, he is realizing he can communicate in French and read French literature. And all of a sudden he's developed this love of French that was initially driven by rewards, but it comes from a genuine heart of actually, I love French. And French culture. And so I do think that's, that is part of it. It's sort of God discipling us to, to be heaven-orientated because there is a reward. But as you do that, I mean, the greater reward is seeing Christ and for his glory. Because God is looking at our lives and the way in which have we been faithful stewards of what is entrusted with us, it has to be, as uh, what is it, 1 Corinthians 4 says, each will receive their different praise. It has to be different because we've all been given different things. Like God's not got a hallmark generic card that he gives out to everyone. They are personal. And he says, I've seen the way in which you use that money, uh, those gifts, uh, those that job that you had, or I've seen the times that you stood up. You weren't ashamed to stand up for me. And so it's very personal, those praise. And, and what I love is like at the end of Revelation 22, it says, Jesus says, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. And I'll give each person according to what they've done. So we almost, there's an excitement of like, we should look forward to that reward that Jesus is going to give us. Like, cause he's coming and he's got it ready. Well, I've been asking Curtis to play us out with a song each week. And look, he hasn't been too keen. It's fair to say. But listen to some of the things I've read in my emails just these last few weeks. Definitely bring Curtis back to the pod. I loved the song in the last podcast. Definitely bring music back, please. Now, all of those comments were from the one person in the one email. But the point is, the people want to hear you play, Curtis. So help us reflect on this hope of resurrection.
This is my revelation Christ Jesus crucified Salvation through repentance At the cross on which he died I will rise, I will rise As Christ was raised to life Now in Him, now in Him I Thanks for joining us again for another one of our bonus episodes. See you next week.